Hello everyone and welcome to Flawless, a music podcast. My name is George and I'm joined by co-hosts Liam. Hello. And Grant. Hi there. Each episode, one of us will propose an album that we consider to be flawless and what that means to each of us. Today, it is my turn. Now, before I tell you what the album is, I want to do a little uh, prelude. This artist's greatest hits is the third best-selling record of all time with 23 million, uh, missing out only to The Eagles' greatest hits and Thriller. Uh, Multi-instrumentalist known mainly for playing piano, the album in question overtook Simon and Garfunkel's Bridge Over Troubled Water as the biggest-selling record on Columbia Records, and it was released in 1977, the year of Star Wars, Apple II computers, when Elvis died, and the first commercial Concorde flight. It's the fifth studio album by this artist, was at six weeks at number two on the US Billboard charts, number 70 in Rolling Stone's greatest albums of all time, six-time Grammy Award winner, nominated 23 times, with over 150 million records sold worldwide, and he is one of the best-selling artists of all time. So, this is, of course, Mr. Piano Man himself, Billy Joel with the album The Stranger. How did you like the intro, boys? What, a, what an introduction. George, going a deep dive on this one. Do you even need us? We can, we can, if you need mm. the room, we can leave you alone. <laughs> hey, there's a lot to say about this guy. There is. So, I'm presuming that you guys know who Billy Joel is. Yes, he even made it to Africa. Excellent, that's a good sign. And yes, he. I knew of him from growing up listening to AM radio, with, with, which my mum listened to a lot. So I know the singles and that's about it. Awesome. So I had uh, pretty much all the records in my family's record collection growing up. Um, Interesting fact, wasn't allowed to turn the records over myself. So I only ever listened to side A of pretty much every album we owned. So it wasn't until I became an adult that I was allowed to listen to side B. Right. Then including this album? Including this album. Because you made a point when you told us this was your album, you made a point of saying where the album swap over was, where the, where the changeover yes. was. So obviously in Spotify, we were just like, it's an album. Yeah. But you were deliberately like, no, no, these are the, this is the first side and this was the second side. So I was wondering how that was, what yeah. they were going to come back for. Well, I think it's important because when you're thinking about an album, how it was produced then and how it's an album's produced now, back then you were creating a story on one side and creating a story on the second side. So you not only had to think about the flow of an album overall, but the flow of each side of the record and where you were going to put your singles and everything like that. Sure. Uh, so side A is the first four tracks and then side B was the final five tracks. So I just thought it was, this is the first time we've listened to an album that's old enough that it was released on vinyl and not even on like the cassette and the the mp3 the cd etc so Mm. probably the first time we've listened to an album where when we get together in the room and find out how old it is we don't all get scared about how old the album is like (laughs) no no, we accept this one this one was an old one right from the beginning we're across that yeah like we we are all younger than the album yeah 41 years ago 1977 are we close i'm close i'm not okay i'm good grant it's older than me okay there we go. So barely. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, barely. But it's older than me, which, yeah, it was, it's, it's fascinating to listen to something that was made 41 years ago and you go, wow, this is, this is a good piece of music. Yeah. I didn't, um, I didn't have any reference points when I was listening to this about was it the first album that sounded like this or was it the first, like how did it sound compared to the other stuff that was out at the time? Was he the first person to do certain kind of studio things? I So I'm eager to hear about it, which I'm sure you'll have some stuff on it because... There were some things I was going to go and look up, and I was like, "No, George is going to tell me." So no doubt. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm waiting for the diatribe, and she started well, yeah, yeah. so <laughs> this has been good. Yay! Well, here we are. Um, this is actually um, 
This album was supposed to be produced initially by George Martin, who did things for the Beatles. You may mm. have heard of the Beatles. Yes. Uh, yes, they're quite famous. Um, but he, Billy Joel had actually decided he wanted to use his live touring band as his band for his album. Um, and George Martin said, no, I don't want really? you to do that. So said, I'm not, I'm bowing out of this. I'm not going to do it, uh, which was, you know, a, like a really big deal. And when the album came out, I sent him an apology, just going, this is a, this is an excellent record. You were right. Well done. I read mm. that too. So You're right. I okay. assumed before then you would have like live musicians and then session recording musicians and that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily just use the same, like it, the thing that Billy Joel says of, hey, I want to use that, this touring band to record the album that didn't seem that crazy to me but the greatest music producer of all time was like no no we don't do things that way i was like oh yeah i guess they weren't done that way back then like you'd have separate touring bands and recording bands you would do generally um i think that seems to be the standard like i don't know if that's for everyone but you would have people that specialized in being in a studio mm. and people that specialized on going on tour for nine months of the year and things like that so um think people like bruce springsteen have a band yeah like so um it became a bit more standard that you would use the same people for all um but i don't know about all of the artists of the time but it was really good that billy joel was like no i trust these people yeah and i want to work with them and it turned out to be an excellent record uh, so in the end, the producer was Phil Ramone, who did a fine job and had lots of input on uh, how the record was produced, like not just being led by Billy Joel going, this is, this is everything. Mm. Um, they would collaborate. So half the album, I think, was written in advance and then half of okay. it was written in the studio. Oh, cool. So like, it's uh, a very collaborative effort, which yeah. is awesome. And there were so many instrumental, in, uh, so many musicians that come in on it that I uh, couldn't name them all. But uh, I would love to, but the podcast would be too long. Yeah. Uh, but there was so much going on um, and they've used some really fine musicians throughout. So would you like to know a little bit about Billy Joel himself? Sure, please. So he is an iconic New York suburbs, the Bronx and Long Islander. Uh, and he references that quite a lot in a lot of the things that he writes about. He speaks for the people um, in the first track, Moving Out. He says, this is a story of suburban groups like every Irish, Polish and Italian kid that mm-hmm. are, are trying to get break free of, and live the American dream. So he's trying to represent those groups because he's kind of grown up as it. So he is a, a secular Jew and went, but ended up at Christian schools. Uh, so he now considers himself an atheist, but he's got um, lots of connections to various religions, but not in the belief capacity. Uh, he's been married four times. And yes, fearless. He, yeah. Wow. Four times. Or he didn't learn. I mean. uh, and uh, one of the uh, songs on here, which is we'll come to, uh, was written for his wife, so Just The Way You Are, which is the, one of the biggest singles. Mm. It was written for his wife at the time. Um, but when they separated, he couldn't play it live and didn't play it live again until the late 2000s because wow. it was just too too personal, too, sure. too connected, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Except if you were going along hoping to see him play that song and mm. it's like, that's the one he's song he can't play. Yeah, but we yeah. started playing it again now. And actually, I've got friends that saw him play and relatives that saw him play in the UK in the last couple of weeks and were said, just phenomenal. He's mm. still like an absolutely amazing live musician, uh, still plays all these incredible songs, gets the, the audience, plays for big long sets and... Yep. Just note he's a really good showman and he's always been known as a showman. Mm. This is him having battled with depression, suicidal attempts um, uh, throughout his life and substance abuse, which has been something he's, all of those things are things he's written about and sung about in across his different albums throughout the years. And he's not been, he's not been too guarded about it, but he, um, he has had to be supported by others when he's gone through some of these episodes. So sure pretty awesome that he comes out of it still as a big showman yeah mm-hmm. so he's a, he's a big guy he is he's been doing this for a long time 
Yeah. Well, yes. So yeah. his first album came out in 71. Yes. Um, and uh, he's still like producing and making stuff now. And he's, yeah, as I said, his greatest hits is the third best-selling album of all time. Mm. Like, mm. Greatest hits, volume one and two. Yeah. Which is good. Um, so, yeah. So for me, it was Billy Joel came up as a childhood thing. Uh, side A, obviously. Um, yeah. And it's been quite influential. So why this album? So how how long be between so you listened to side A? How long was it until you finally got to listen to side B? Uh, so side A was until I was probably about, I think I was probably about fifteen or something, just because I I had wow. it inbuilt that you know because by that point I moved on to CDs and we didn't have it on CDs, so I didn't think about sure. it. And I started listening to punk and metal and whatever else, um, and then. It wasn't until I started dating a boy when I was 18. He turns out he was also a Billy Joel fan. And right. I was like, well, he was in a oh. hardcore band. We were tattooed, vegan, straight edge punks. Um, but uh, he was into Billy Joel. And I was like, let's listen to loads of Billy Joel together. Because <laughs> like, our friends will all make fun of us. But we can listen to it in the car. And so we would. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Side B. Yeah. I'm allowed to <laughs> listen to this now. Like, this and was it a revelation or? Mm. Yeah. Well, it was interesting because for me, like listening to it then as a grown up and like, again, more so now, um, I realized it wasn't just a childhood admiration of this artist, but it was actually a well-founded admiration of mm. this artist because mm -hmm. I didn't listen. I didn't really know some of the songs on side B of any of his albums um, until I got older. So I listened to them objectively and went, yeah, okay. It's yes. not just a, an emotional childhood attachment. Yes. It's actually an appreciation of the music. Yeah. So once you've got a bit more of an understanding of like good instrumentation and song construction and stuff. Absolutely. And I yeah. was learning to play Billy Joel songs on the piano terribly yeah. when I was a child. <laughs> uh, as were my brothers. We were like, yeah, we can play this one. Da, mm. da, da, da. Um, uh, yeah, which is good fun. But there are so many albums that I love by him. Yeah. Uh, but this was the one that I thought start to finish, I don't skip. Mm -hmm. okay. Like now that I can access it electronically, I go, yeah. I listen to you from start to finish. Yeah. And it's got huge hits in it. Um, and one of my stepkids who, when she was 15, dating, uh, or 16, sorry, and dating an older boy, and he made her like a mix compilation or on Spotify probably or whatever. Yeah. I was going to say a mixtape and then realize that that's not it a doesn't happen That doesn't happen, no. no. They don't know what they are. No. Um, she was like, oh my God, there's this song that he's played me and it's so good and it's called Vienna by Billy Joel. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I got it on vinyl, mate. <laughs> so I was quite proud of myself. Like, I'm the cool stepmom. I've got it on vinyl. Again? Yeah. Still? Yeah, just trying to trying to rock it. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so it's a 16-year-old now is still listening to songs from this album for the first time and going, this just means so much to me. Yeah. Which I thought was really cool. So, yeah. yeah. I was like, mm. yeah, this is pretty awesome. So, anyway, I've, I've been rambling quite some time. So, listening to, the listening to this album from start to finish for the first time, Grant, what was your first impression of it? I was, <clears throat> I was amazed that there were so many hits on it that I knew already. I do own – I'm one of the <laughs> members who have that – Best of CD. Nice. Yay! Uh, <laughs> Excuse me. Um, <clears throat> so I was amazed at how many of, of, of those, uh, you know, those are, those are big numbers that are on on one disc, and, and amazed at, at that it was forty one years old. It's for mine at a first take. It's timeless, um, which I think would go to you know in, in, a, in a framework of what's a flawless album. You, know, you can put that on, and it's still relevant to what you were just saying. Now, you know, your your step step daughter. step daughter. Um, you know, listens to Vienna and goes, geez, I really love the song. Does she know that it's 41 years old? No, I don't think she would have had a clue. So, um, yeah, I was, I was impressed with it. So, yeah. cool. And it brought me back, to be honest, of when I first, I thought, like, I thought, well, when did I first listen to or, or really know, like literally know who Billy Joel was? And um, it was, it, it was the, we didn't start the fire um, video in those days. So that made it to South Africa. So it'd be mid '80s, I would think. Mm -hmm. um, and he's on a keyboard, and there's you know the girl up in flames in the background or whatever. And I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with the clip, but uh, that was for me probably the first time I, I realised who Billy Joel was. And then you know you add in you know the big hits that that are sprinkled around his career, and you're like, geez, this guy's 
you say third highest um, al- most selling album in the world. You know, there's a reason for that. And how about you, Liam? Um, so yeah, like I said, it came from AM radio. So sort of my parents, my mum mostly style music. So I hadn't listened to an album before, and I didn't. I was probably thinking I probably wasn't going to enjoy it, but um, so I sort of yeah started listening to it. And like Grant said, it's quite it's quite timeless. I didn't sort of feel like it was stuck in a certain era, um, except for a couple of songs, which we'll we'll come back around when we come back to those later. But yeah, I enjoyed it much more than I thought I would. So yeah, I quite like listening to it and. Now I can, I'm sort of familiar with the whole album structure. Like normally if I listen to something I'm not that invested in, I'll sort of forget how it all goes. But now looking back at it, I'm like, yeah, no, I can remember the sort of the phases and that first phase and the second half of the album and that sort of thing. Awesome. So side A and side B. Yes. Yeah, it's intriguing because it, 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 it's, it's made me think as well about how, how different music production was then. And, mm. you know, this is, you, you basically had, you know, in, in your life listened to only half and then the second half you've listened to the remainder. I mean, and because that's how they were made mm. you know, and, and, and the rules of your house. And you had to think about the length of the track and yeah. planning the tracks wow. and stuff like that to make mm. sure that they would all fit onto one side. Mm. Not like with Radiohead when they released OK Computer and it's on, like, on two records because, mm. you know, they, they, that would be unheard of for most artists back in the day because sure. like, you wouldn't release a double album. It would cost too much. It would be yeah. like cost too much for people to buy. You wouldn't sell as many. You wouldn't get all of your Grammys and all mm. that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's important that we I shared with you side A, side B. Mm. So I'm and I think um, another thing that listen. struck me as well, because I read that same story about how he used the session musicians in the recording so then I was listening out for those parts so the things that I was pretty sure he wasn't necessarily playing so sometimes I think of a solo album as the one person probably records most of it themselves if they know how to play all the different instruments and then just takes the band on tour but this time I was thinking more about oh yeah so there's that cool bass line in there or there's like a saxophone line in there that I really like so I was really sort of paying attention to that sort of session stuff and it's all like it's all really good that's really great to see musicians who are not necessarily going to get a lot of profile out of it because it's not doing under their name but really sort of doing their best work for it mm. yeah highly instrumental mm. like a competence yes. across yeah. the entire record yeah awesome. big time so let's uh, and sorry may i ask have either of you seen him live i've not seen him live really yeah i know it's really scary wow huh? i know okay. i just could never afford it um sure. but he's always played huge arenas ever since like i could have been able to go see him mm. he always plays huge arenas and sells out in minutes mm. just he when he played in the uk he played one gig mm. like that was it and i know four people who were lucky enough to get tickets mm-hmm. and that's nuts um but and i've known some people who have traveled over and seen him play madison square gardens and stuff over in america and that's huge that's a really big deal i'd love to do that um but yeah i've not seen him i'd absolutely love to Mm. i think i'd just cry all the way through (laughs) like a big wuss i'm just totally (coughs) that's what i kind of found as well one of the things sort of jumping around a bit but also so you We've talked a bit sometimes about when we get introduced to a new album and we go, oh, you know, whether the album we found it flawless or not, but we go, oh, but I'm still interested to find out what else they've recorded. Yeah. For me, I, I didn't necessarily have that experience this time. I'm not super invested in Billy Joel as a recording artist now, but I think if the opportunity came up to see him live, I would probably take it, mm. you know, if the timing and the cost were right and that sort of thing, which I'd, it wouldn't have even occurred to me. Like if it, that had got announced, you know, before I listened to this album, I'd be like, yeah, Billy Joel touring some greatest hits, whatever. But now it's like, no, no, I think I'd really love to see him do what he does and just, yeah, controlling that stage and the piano playing on it was just mm. awesome. So, mm. yeah. He, yeah, he definitely is one of those people, along with people like Elton John, that led the way for piano rock to be really mm. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's not just, you don't have to be guitar driven in order to be an awesome superstar. You yeah. can be piano driven and go mm. and still, and still make take drugs, do stupid things yeah. and cause trouble and get mm. into the newspapers for all sorts of uh convoluted things mm. and then you can sort of see where the bands like the piano driven bands today so you're like your ben folds Coldplay, which is probably not today but but yeah have taken what have learned their lessons from what billy joel did and have taken what they need from him as an influence and turned it into their own style as well which mm. is always really great to see absolutely yeah i think one of the reasons i probably fell in love with ben folds when i first heard them is like oh you're a you're a Billy Joel I can listen to. Thank yeah. you. Mm. Yeah. You're a and, modern And one. actually go to see live because it I won't go be see playing live. one show. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you swear. Yeah. Done. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So uh, talking on the album, I mentioned moving out. 
awesome entrance to an album. Mm-hmm. Uh, just doesn't mess around as a little chunky number. Talk to me, all right, talk to me about this song because I, the first time I listened to this album, I was like, hey, this is a pretty cool song. Mm-hmm. And then when I listened to the rest of the album, this song stopped fitting in for me. This song felt like it okay. didn't. I, it was either in the wrong place or it wasn't quite right for me. So what's, what's the actual song about? The song is about uh, a small town guy who's trying to make it in America and it's just talking about all of the typical people who live in those sorts of areas Mm. that are generally immigrants or children of immigrants um, who are just working hard just to get them just to get by or just to get that one aspirational thing yeah and he's representing those people so that's what i thought too like the first time i heard it it was like a sort of like a working class like almost springsteen quite springsteen similar vibe sort of Mm -hmm. to it but then the tone of the song the musicianship is quite up like it's quite poppy for something like springsteen does it and it's quite down and it's dark and often it's his acoustic songs but then the tone of the song sort of felt like a bit more up and poppy. So I sort of mm. I was thrown a little bit by the tone on that. But it's kind of aspirational though, rather than going, "This is the drudgery we're stuck with." Yeah, it's going, sure. "Hey, I'm working for this, and I'm I'm going to get it one day. I'm yeah. going to do it. I'm moving out. I'm, I'm moving out. There. Yeah." And it ends with uh, the sound of one of the uh, musicians' Corvettes, yeah. like being revved up in the background, like, "Hey, I'm actually I've made it. Yeah. I've made it now. I'm leaving. I'm getting mm. out of this town. I'm going to go and do what I'm supposed to do." Mm. And that's what I love about it. So um, it's got those the ak 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 noises Which in it kind of throws me a little bit as well because he, he never uses that sort of little thing again he never uses that sort of vocal styling again in the rest of the album like well that, he was that. known for being rocky yeah mm. and then this album had some softer stuff on it mm-hmm. like just the way you are wasn't supposed to be on the album right okay uh, like everyone said no but there was um musicians like Linda Ronstadt and stuff around at the time also recording who went that song's awesome put it on the album and so they all had influence on it Um, but he was being accused of being too soft Mm. at the time and so he's got this kind of rockier uh, a bit shoutier number like he gets a bit more like that in the next album in 52nd Street but um, I, I that's one of the things when I was listening to as a kid I was like I loved going that I'm like who doesn't want to yeah. sing along to that <laughs> like that's really satisfying to sing yeah. but it's interesting you say it doesn't fit because I kind of it feels for me like it moves straight into The Stranger like it works as a like I'm, I'm starting off heavy and now I'm going bluesy weird and yeah. then I'm going to go love song uh, and and then I'm going to go ballad like weird like hybrid ballad it, just all on side A mm. I, I just I thought The Stranger would have been a better opening just like it opens with that whistling um, mm-hmm. and then sort of folds into like that nice little funky number it feels more of like a more of a standout song or a summary song like of what's going to come than like a sort of yeah I think The Stranger would have been a better opening song just while we're on it um, what are um, what were the singles Oh, for for so our listeners, please. The singles were, the first one was Just The Way You Are. Mm-hmm. The second one was Moving Out. Uh, the third one was Only The Good Die Young, which was nice and controversial. Mm. And then the fourth one is Always A Woman. Okay. So they were the singles. So The Stranger was never actually a single. No. Um, I think they released it in Japan or something as a single. Uh, but they were the... Um, four singles in in order so it was starting with just the way you are which was originally not supposed, not to, supposed be to be on, on the album. album yeah was a plucky choice and mm. especially considering people were thinking he was being a wuss sure so was, that was pretty awesome and then you'd have been really well. headstrong and passionate to have gotten that over the line when you know all of the music industry or his his confidants are saying it mustn't go on and then have it go to number one or have it as first single mm. and then have you know, the, the marriage fail and not play it for a period of time because it tugs so hard. So, so, so hard. Because so. the thing I read said that this was his breakthrough album. So what, was he known before this for much? Like, was was it, so the way, like, Just The Way You Are is a, is a really great song, mm-hmm. but it's only, so it's only a come down if he's known for releasing like harder, heavier stuff beforehand. Well, he became really famous with Piano Man, which is three right. albums before this. Okay. okay. So, so this isn't really yeah. album before. Maybe yeah. I just read somewhere that this was his breakthrough, but maybe it was this the first time the album was the breakthrough. Like maybe yeah. the albums previously didn't sure. get through, but the singles were well known. I think so. Um, I think it was more that this was the first time it was like the whole thing became yeah. like yes. um, 
recognized mm-hmm. it was like the whole album became recognized and the singles got recognized and um but he was already well known and he was already selling out gigs okay. and doing and sure. doing well cool. like to be on columbia and to still be on your fifth album you need to be good yeah ask beyonce yeah so yeah. like you've got artists like that are on columbia now mm. and um that you need to they drop you if you're not successful. Sure. Yeah, well, that was it was weird when I read it because I was like, oh, it's really weird for a fifth album to be a breakthrough, like for him to still be going if like the first four hadn't done that well for him to mm. still be going to, mm-hmm. to get to a fifth at all. But yeah, you're probably right. That it was like he was still well known enough to be releasing albums, but this was, might have been the first one that broke through as a whole album. And working hard, eh? if this is his fifth album, first album in 71, fifth album 77, he's mm-hmm. going just yeah. over a year. Mm. And, and putting one out. So he's yeah. not, yeah. He's not he, messing around and touring and Yeah, exactly. And he put his next yeah. one out the following year. Wow. And that wow. also got recognized. So mm. and that is actually the second one has um a song on it which he references drugs um and stuff like that. And I didn't know what it all meant, but I loved it. And so it's called Big Shot. It's on fifty second street. And when I was about three years old, my parents took me to a pub on a Sunday and they had a karaoke room and I disappeared and they found me stood up on the little soapbox in the karaoke room singing Big Shot by Billy Joel having no idea that spoon up your nose meant cocaine right. um and wow. i was just singing along just because you had to be a big shot didn't you as like this three-year-old aryan poster child um <laughs> just rocking up billy joel songs so yeah. there you go so it's nice. it kind of yeah he helped me learn a lot about language mm. um as a child so yeah so um the stranger whistle you talked about yeah Um, that whistle, he whistled to the producer and said, I need to find an instrument that can play this. And he said, no, you don't. Just whistle it. Yeah. Because it sounds really good. Yeah. And it sounds haunting. And it sounds like like a PI walking down an alleyway at night. Definitely. Okay, yeah, yeah for sure. Like a whole noir feel, which was kind of then, yeah, one of the reasons that I found when I listened back to it that the first track felt off because of definitely what like because even the rest of the song the stranger is sort of quite noiry and sort of funky and back alley sort of stuff whereas yeah the first one didn't really fit that tone as well but we go rocky again in scenes from an italian restaurant yes. in the middle yes. so that's kind of got its revy up motorbike mm. references and stuff like that which yeah. i think links back to moving out that's the suburb kids trying to make it and get out of their hometown and mm. try and live the big dream so scenes from italian restaurant is a great song i'd never heard that before and apparently it's one of his favorites and like a live favorite and everybody loves okay. it but i'd never heard it before I didn't hear it's one of my favorites yeah that was so good yeah and like three songs met together which can often be like come on that's not one song that's just three songs you've meshed together but no it all sort of works together and like yeah all the three parts work alone but then also t- as a stand as a together as well it's a beautiful conversation mm. isn't it like the whole thing is about like getting together with your old friend talking about the old times and then being back in the old times yeah and you invest yourself in like in their lives and mm. what they're doing and you're like oh no they didn't make it oh. yeah and just like that really high speed piano as well I love that just like so that's what made me think of Ben Folds as well like it was just okay. super super fast reading up about how people really love it and then in the live show apparently it's a bigger production like it and i thought i thought oh this would be really good you could drop extra bits into it you could just have him play a piano solo in the middle of it for no reason you could mm. extend out the choruses you could do all sorts of stuff with it that would be amazing and then i read the thing i was like yeah yeah that's exactly what he does this is like a 15 minute song when he plays it live and everybody wow. loves it and sings along and it would just be this really big production that's amazing. i was like that would be great i was like yeah you could absolutely do that and so i really love that song it is a good song and it's got lyrics such as 
cold beer, hot lights, my sweet romantic teenage nights. And you're like, yep, I had those. (laughs) I had those. They're so good. That throws you back straight away. Mm. And it's like, you can be a grown up and singing about that. And everyone can empathize in some way about being a teenager again. Yeah. However that looked for them. Mm. And it's such a beautiful song of reminiscing, like this ballad and... Yeah, it's, it is a really good song. I'm glad you like it because some people, when they listen, go, why does he go from slow to fast? I don't get it. I, I Look, I'm not entirely sold on it. I thought mm. it was it was good, but it was just, I could picture it being great on stage mm. and, and it's the potential to, um, I, I was looking at more at the flow of coming from just the way you are and then uh, I suppose you reference almost three songs and it's, yeah, it's like, yeah, wow, look at this. This sort of comes sweeping in. Mm. Um but yeah, so yeah, it, it was it was good. I wouldn't say that it was right up there. I could see why it wouldn't be a signal and why it would definitely no. work on yeah. stage though. Yeah, and just be fantastic for the players. Really good. Yeah, yeah. You could have like a whole bass salt. Like if you just Ooh. strip it all back and have a bit of a bass. Like you could just do all sorts of stuff with it because it's just a big epic number already. And then it kind of reminded me as I was listening to it the first time of um, Jack and Diane by John Cougar Mellencamp, which is a sort of a you know couple sort of story. Mm. I was like, oh, you know, it's kind of stealing a bit of that sort of mojo. And then I looked it up, and that didn't come out for another five years. <laughs> went, no, no, the other okay. way around. Jack and Diane probably stole a bit from like yeah, John took probably bit, took a bit of storytelling bit, and yes. it turned into a full song of his own. Yeah, he does okay. a real mixture of ballads of people, like empathizing projecting of people and then stuff that is his own and personal and which i really like so it's not Mm. all just this personal album but it's a mixture of telling stories Mm. which we can all do and that's lots of storytelling it's lovely yeah we're we're only on side a i know well you mentioned then that it flows into vienna yes and this is where i this is um this is the spotify experience is that when it flows straight into it he goes back so they have the italian um accordion yeah the piano accordion and it feels like when you play it straight after the italian restaurant it's like oh no he's sort of gone back to the well a bit but it would be different if a record because in a record you would have had to have gotten up and turned it over so there'd be that that yes. sort of semantic break. break in between mm-hmm. whereas listening to it straight through it's like oh it's sort of like a italian restaurant part two sort of thing like it just sort of goes back to the well a bit but yeah when you'd have that break of listening to it you wouldn't have that it would be a different experience it is a different experience. Yeah. I can tell you that because I had never got to side B. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, as I said earlier, Vienna uh, starts with the lyrics. Slow down, you crazy child. You're so ambitious for a juvenile. But then if you're so smart, tell me why are you still so afraid? And that was given to my stepkid by her older boyfriend. So (laughs) it's like, oh, there you go. Maybe she was doing too much. Mm. Uh, But it's just a really beautiful song. And like, it is a calming, lovely, beautiful ballad. Mm. But did you, when you realised the break, you and you could appreciate the song for what it was? Yeah, like I still like the song. I just, I can't undo that first time that I heard it when it was like, okay, just as a flow on thing. And then after I realised, so yeah. I had I noticed it as flowing on first, and then when I realised, I oh, know you would not normally have that break, but I'd already experienced it for the first time, so it was too late. Too late. Try and I fix my break. I even warned you. I know you did. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. I'm only getting it now. Like, I, w- yeah. I was thinking, thinking okay. about it, but not. Yeah, I should have. <laughs> I should have had that break and then waited five minutes and then started the other side. Fair enough. Well, we do lead into the controversial song. Mm. Only the good die young. Which is gonna be so weird. Yeah. Because controversial. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's about his genuine lust for when he was in Catholic school for one, a girl called Virginia and mm-hmm. him going, oh, come on, come on. I want to date you. I want to be with you, etc." Um, and when it was released, loads of uh, religious uh, groups got together to try and get it banned. And that only meant it became more popular. Of course. Mm. Because that's what happens when you try yes. and get mm. something banned. Is it the Barbara Streisand effect? It's called on the internet. I can't remember, there was something she did, I think it might have even been South Park, where they did a parody of her. And South Park at that time was still quite unknown. And then Barbara Streisand came out and said, hey, you can't do this parody of me to all of her audience who'd never heard of South Park. Yes. Uh-huh. And then all of her, and picked it up and went with it. So now it's that, it's, yeah, the Barbara Streisand effect is that idea that you, if you're bigger than something that you don't like, don't come out against it because you're just going to make it bigger than 
before. Before. Just mm. shush. Yeah. Yes. Well, they didn't shush. Yeah. They, uh, they made it a really big single. Um, people loved it um, yeah. and came out with it. So it reminded me of, do you know that Christmas song, Baby, It's Cold Outside? Yeah. Mm. And it's been controversial going, mm. is he trying to coerce her? Is that really bad? Or is he just trying to liberate her from the expectations of others? Yeah. yeah. So for me, like listening to it, I'm like, yeah, it borders on it. Yeah. Like of going, he's being a lust-filled teenage boy saying, come on, it's going to happen, whatever. But at the same time going, you know, you are currently being confined by your like your Catholicism yes. yeah. and not living how you want to live. Mm. And clearly you like me, so why aren't we together? Because for me, it's... And I knew a thing. I knew a little bit about the controversy, but it's so tame. The song is a poppy. It is. Oh, yeah. The song is a poppy, like folk song with an acoustic guitar. No bad boy sings a poppy folk song with an acoustic no. guitar. <laughs> the the whole way through, he's talking about, oh, everyone hates me. I'm because I'm so bad. The only bad thing I'm doing quote marks for everyone at home. Yes. The only bad thing he talks about in the song is that him and his friends laugh too loud. That is literally the, except for the actual, the object of the lust and that sort of stuff. But the only time he actually comes out and goes, this is why they hate me, is because I la- we laugh too loud. Like, that's, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so, so controversial, ta- It's right? so tame. Mm. <laughs> so I'm listening to it going, and like, okay, so first of all, only the good die young. That's not true. <laughs> bad, bad boys die young all the time. And good people, you know, good, healthy, living, clean people tend to live, like, whether or not you want to live that long is another thing entirely. But that's... Yeah. yeah, it was just I was listening to it going. I knew the song because that's one of the AM radio songs that everybody knows about. I was listening to it going, how is this controversial? How is this a bad? How is he a yeah. bad boy? In this, how is his character a bad boy in this song? It's just so tame. Mm. Well, it's worth re- reflecting on on what society was back then, mm. and that there was no internet and mobile phones, and mm. um, you know you'd phone a landline to ask to speak to. A yeah. girl you might want to court. And he's talking about the 50s as well. So yeah. this came out yeah. in the 70s. Wow. This is when he, so he's talking about a high school crush. Mm. Like um, mm. in like what, the 50s, 60s? Like, yeah. like things will be way different. Organised religion had significantly more influence I think, on day-to-day society. That's just and the way it was. But yeah, like I just, it feels like this song's aged. Like it would have been like a really cool song at the time, but it just it didn't age, hasn't aged well, I don't think. Because now you listen to it. If you're telling people, oh, this is a song about a bad boy going after a girl and someone listens to it now, they'd be like, what? what? <laughs> Who is this guy? What? Why Why is anybody scared of this guy? This mm. is a reminiscent yeah. song <laughs> about a bad boy who's yeah. uh, dealing dealing with like the old housewives of your, yeah. etc. But sort of going in, going, and this is what I sort of talked about at the start, going into it, where I expected the album to have aged. A lot of the songs, they didn't. They're still really relevant, mm. like really good pop songs for today. But that one I felt was like, no, that's, that song's aged really badly. That is definitely of its time. Okay. That's fair enough. Yeah. Well, it's still people do see it as being controversial now. Yeah. I'd... As trying to coerce a woman into sex when, mm. she, when he's like, you know, your mother all told you, told you that all I'd give you was a bad reputation. And it's like, oh, is that it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. I was like, why did the mother say that? He d- he's just a white boy with an acoustic guitar. <laughs> Why would she think that? Mm. Well, with an acoustic piano. Or a coo- acu- yeah, acoustic <laughs> guitar and sure. a piano. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, so, but yeah, it was about a real crush, and mm. he used her real name as well. So she yeah. must be appreciate being name checked. Sure. Possibly in, not, unless she stayed being staunchly religious, and her yeah. family are like, "It's not about you, is it, mother?" Yes. Mm. Uh, fair enough. Um, but next is probably one of my most favourites, and one that I'm so glad happened because uh, I want to be this woman, and this was about his wife, and it's always a woman. But you'll bring out the best and the worst you can be. Blame it all on yourself, cause she's always a woman to me. Mm-hmm. I, I'd like to bring out the best and worst in people. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds pretty awesome. Mm. Like just the way you are is a really nice and they're sort of thematically quite similar, like don't change, this is who this is who you are, don't you know, don't ever change. But yeah. I like Just The Way You Are, it's a nice song, but I, I like this one better. I think it was a bit more stripped back, more sort of focused on his piano, which was really good. So yeah, I like. I really like this one. I thought better than Just The Way You Are. Like this has got more feminist, powerful lyrics in it. Mm-hmm. Than, it's more hot. Uh, than a lot of current songs. Yeah. 
yeah. like I'd say. Like it's just him going, this is who you are. This, you are very much your own woman. You are, and that's who I like. And, but you are not without your flaws. And you are, you, you, what is it? You never give out, you never give in. You just change your mind. And mm. I'm like, yes, yeah. that's <laughs> how it should be. Um, mm. But like, there's so many songs of the era, which were all about like, oh baby, no, you should totes be mine. Da, da, you know, um, kind of pushy, rock songs and stuff and even if you go back to the 40s where it's all about going I just want one day with you why won't you give me one day yeah. whereas he's like not nah, you exactly as you are in two different songs one album yeah, mm. yeah you're, per- you're perfect yeah it was really nice yeah. it was nice it's a great it's a great track so. and as a woman listening to it it's, she's someone I aspire to be mm. which is nice yeah <laughs> You don't expect that from something in the 70s. No, not no, necessarily. Sure. From a guy's point of view in the 70s. No. Didn't. So, yes. And, uh, okay, we'll move on to the next track. Uh, get it right the first time. That's the main thing. <laughs> whoa, whoa, Sorry, I'm dancing for the listeners yeah. at home. Uh, yeah, you can probably edit that. Um, I don't think I'll need to. No. So, <laughs> uh, this for me is the one time it really dates is uh, the intro of this song. There's the, the instrument he uses, I think it's like an electronic harpsichord type thing. Sounds a bit like a Sesame Street song. <laughs> and right. just every time I listen to it, I'm like, oh, there's puppets. Yeah. Um, but it's nice and soulful. And it's, do you know that you can salsa to this song? Yeah. I kind of, I had written down that it's like a tropical rock song. Rock song. So it's like, yeah, islandy sort of, yeah. It is. I didn't know you could salsa to it. You can, because I do. Right. <laughs> um, you can. Da, 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 da. Yeah, it's something you can salsa to. So it's uh, a really fun. Th- this Does that mean it's like on a, a different fun. beat? Yeah, it's just like on the, a particular type of beat that you can do it. You can do that dance to. Right. As I was doing in bed. Yeah. Like, <laughs> trying to do it in earlier. bed earlier on. Yeah. Okay. Which is good. What do you think, Grant? I thought it was okay. I didn't think it was, was the, the best. This is probably where. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I mean, but maybe it's the dating thing. Mm. Um, I thought it was, it was okay, but this sprinkled in between. I thought we'll get to, to our reviews later, so let's, uh, let's just go with okay on this one. Oh, just okay on just this okay. one. Just okay. Can't give you much more than that. <laughs> and then we move Everybody on to... Everybody has a dream. Yeah, the Here epilogue. Which I really liked. Tick, yeah. because, because of Big Choir. That's going to get you across yeah. the line. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, really like, I really like. I really like that ending. Yeah. It was really. It's a really anthemic. Yeah. Beautiful. Like, like yeah. I always think of it as like the epilogue. Going. Mm. This is mm. just everybody. Yeah, I like that one. Get everyone together. We can all have a sing song and stuff. Uh, but it does go into um, the stranger. The whistling. The yes. whistling. Just to kind of lead you out. Yeah, which yeah. I also liked. But once again, coming back to the first song, it would have been good if it, The Stranger was the first song so that it bookended the beginning and the end of the album. I see what you mean. That's where I kind of have that first song sort of hanging out there on its own. Like, I think you could take that, you could take moving out and pop it somewhere in the middle and it would work a little better for me with the opening and ending. Awesome. Of the whistling. And you like getting, getting very specific, huh? Wow. Compared to our first few episodes of, yeah, yeah, it of was, a flawless album. It was wow. just something that stuck It's out. impressive. It, it, it'll come to... And so Grant you know, has awesome. more notes than usual. Yeah. I've got notes. What do you mean? He has I, Oftentimes notes. I've arrived without notes, which has been disappointing, but <laughs> that was in the past. Um, That's true. Yeah, I, I think your um, your question on moving out, the first uh, first song, I found um, it goes from moving out and then it's like, whoa, there's this, as you say, private investigator, rain, mm. trench coat, jacket, darkness sort of vibe of of the stranger and then it goes up again to just the way you are um yeah intriguing start and but nice to wrap it up with you you left thinking with the, with the whistling at the end um on 
everybody has a dream. Like, mm. oh, okay. Like it's so, a re- it's a real character thing having that whistling and you you're picturing someone walking down an alleyway and there's smoke and everything and you mm. he's maybe the guy whistling in like a big long trench coat and sort of mm. gives it that yeah that I mean it already had a really personal vibe. It was like yeah the, the albums come from this this person. And did you relate to the lyrics of the stranger? Um, About a little having the part of you that you hide, especially well, like for him being having depression and sure. substance yeah. abuse and things like the other you've got a persona being a you know famous person you've got a persona that you have and a persona you have at home and mm. stuff like that but i remember being a kid and going ah oh, this this song gets me yeah mm. like but or mind you liam you seem like you're just pretty much an open book yeah like <laughs> no i think like it was i was kind of torn between is the stranger so you think of the depression and that sort of stuff as like the black dog. So is he was he picturing the stranger as that the 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 mental health like the depression side of him as like a stranger in a black suit sort of dark unknowing person or is it more of a stranger as that's another side of my personality and I've got multiple sides of my personality that I you know shuffle around and so one of those sides would be a stranger to somebody else if they met them sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I yeah, I see what you mean. I sort of touched on that a little bit but didn't grab me that much Mr. Grant much the same I wasn't I wasn't entirely sold on The Stranger based on what I thoroughly enjoyed moving up um, moving out forgive me and then I was like okay geez, I, I can picture he, he, he does allow you to imagine you know um, through his singing and his and, and the lyrics however I didn't think it was um, the best the best song I couldn't really um, align myself to it that's all right. Cool. Okay. So, do you have anything else to add about Mr. Billy Joel on The Stranger? Only that um, this confirms what I think everybody else already knew and what I probably could have assumed, which was that he's a really good piano player. <laughs> I think there's lots of evidence on the album that, like, yeah, he's just really good. Like, it's fast or it's slow and it's not, um, I guess, sh- not that showy necessarily. Like, I think sometimes some piano you know, rock-based piano, piano-based rock music can be a bit showy with the piano, but it's just like, no, this is clearly just where he's the most comfortable and where he feels the easily able to tell the story. So, yeah, I really like the piano parts of most of the album. Awesome. Mm. He is very good. He's really good. He is really good. Yeah. So I regret... Don't why, I don't know why I was surprised when I sort of thinking about, like, oh, yeah, I guess he's really good. No, no, everyone, everyone who knows anything about mm. piano stuff knows he's really good. Why am I suddenly catching up with him? <laughs> so when I arrived here in 2006... We, you know, it come from the small town called you know, East London, and um, it was you know, late, late in the year. And Pearl Jam played, um, Live played, Cheryl Crow, John Cougar Mellencamp. Um, we went absolutely mad um, in terms of concerts, which we'd never been exposed to, and, and we're spending a lot of cash. And my um, my missus at the time said, Elton John came up and Billy Joel came up, and it was like, Grant, you got to choose between. Elton John or Billy Joel and I'm sad because I chose Elton John with tickets behind the stage and at the concert he was actually ill he, he wasn't gonna he, he almost cancelled the concert out at the Brisbane Entertainment Centre um, and but Billy Joel might have come back to Australia once since then um, but I could have gone in 2006 and seen him and I didn't so and now anyway. that you've listened to the whole album through, you're like, I wish I had. Mm, I do. Well, oh. and, and uh, as I said, I own the, the CD, the, the best of, yeah, somewhere. And I didn't like to say that in front of Liam because we all have this <laughs> pedestal of Liam and his opinions and greatest hits, all the rest of it. However, yeah, I could have seen him in 2006 and I didn't. So there we go. So it's our homework is that we, next time he plays, is that we all go and sing. I think so. And if he listens to this, be yeah, very forgive me. Homework. Yeah, yeah. It's really <laughs> that homework's going to cost us. We're sure. going to start saving. It's fine. Yeah. Sure. It's fine. And 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 to to Elton's credit, he still played a concert and literally threw up on stage. Such was the <sighs> level of his illness. Yeah, he was really sick, and it was a good concert. I just yeah, probably um, sitting behind the stage wasn't yeah. the best viewing point, mm. and uh, probably wouldn't have had that with um, with the Billy Joel tickets. So, so the go. important question. Mm. is you've listened to The Stranger and you've had very strong views. So I would like to ask, Liam, would you have said that this album is flawless? Uh, Unfortunately, no. Uh, 
I'm not going to go too deep into the re- like I've explained the reasons why that first mm-hmm. song sticks out like a sore thumb for me once I get a better idea of the entire album um, and only the good die young has just aged really badly and I just it's hard for me to even take it seriously when he's singing about what a bad boy he is in the kind of upbeat tone that he does so <laughs> like but I loved it way more than I thought I would there are some there are heaps of great songs on here um, I said at the start that I wouldn't necessarily go and look into it a lot but I probably you know if it came up again chance to go and see him live um, I'd definitely take advantage if I could so thank you George that was really good cool uh, Mr. Parkin ripping the band-aid off I'd have to say no as well mm-hmm. um, I, I I'd probably take a different tact to or, 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 or angle on on what Liam was saying around um, the stranger and it fitting in I thought that I thoroughly enjoyed moving out and then I thought, well, where does, where's the stranger? Potentially you could drop the stranger in and everybody has a dream with a whistling. Um, but it almost went, it's, it, it didn't really flow as well as I thought it could um, from that moving out to stranger to just the way you are. It could have been, um, they could have had something or played with it, I suppose the order of, of, of events a bit differently there. I wasn't particularly sold on um, scenes from the Italian restaurant. I think it could grow on you and certainly be fantastic at a, um, at a live venue for sure. Um, and get it right the first time. And to be honest, this might be a bit, um, uh, uh, what would you say, um, could cause some trouble. But Vienna, I'm not, not the best for me. I don't have a problem with Only the Good Day Young. I think it's fantastic still. Um, and that it, it's, you know, it, it does talk back to a bygone era, sure. Um, and so it could be viewed as not necessarily um, as relevant now. And sure, it isn't. Um, but overall, it's a really, really good album. Um, with the four, you know, singles that are timeless for mine. Um, but altogether, I'd have to say no. Well, thank you, boys. Thank you for listening to Billy Joel for me. Uh, thank you for, thank you for showing it. Yeah. Yes. I definitely wouldn't have listened to it if I hadn't uh. had to for the podcast. May I ask so. one question? It, out, of, out of his many albums, which you no doubt would know how many there are, what would the second and third, your second and third favourite albums be? Um, 52nd Street and Piano Man. Okay. So not oh, it's River of Dreams or no, anything more I, recent? I, I eased off my love a really? little bit when it got to that era. Okay. Um, but I, 52nd Street, is, he's punchier. There's a lot. He's holding a trumpet on the front and he's got a big yes. Jewish fro and it's just brilliant. Um, and Piano Man's got Piano Man on it. So, you know. Which one's the, the which order? What number is the Piano, Piano Man? Piano Man is second. Second one. Uh, Stranger is fifth and yeah. 52nd is sixth. So there you go. So that would be my recommendation for, from my personal experience. Yeah. Mm. yeah, From my karaoke choices, that's where they would be. Um, awesome. Okay, well, thank you very much for everyone for listening. Flawless is recorded at the Edge Studios at the State Library of Queensland, which is a fantastic free space, so check them out. If you'd like to help us get the word out about Flawless, you can give us a rating and feedback on most major podcast services, which helps other music lovers to find us. We also have a Facebook page where you can be part of the conversation. It's facebook.com slash flawlessamp for a music podcast. You can give us a rating, a like, or a share there too, and every little bit helps. We also have Twitter, flawlessamp, and Instagram, flawlessamp. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.